Do you want to maximize your success with NCUA? Join Mark Trichel as he shares with you the insider's view on passing your exam with Flying Colors. The With Flying Colors podcast is sponsored by Credit Union Exam Solutions by Mark Trichel. If you would like to work directly with the Credit Union Exam Solutions team and receive support to optimize your results with NCUA so you save time and money, visit us at marktrichel.com to find out more. Hey, this is Mark Treichel with another episode of With Flying Colors. I'm excited to have Patty Wubbles today. She works with Strategic Resource Management. Patty, how are you doing today? Hi, Mark. It's so great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yes, I'm excited to talk about digital assets, cryptocurrency. I've got your LinkedIn profile up. We connected on LinkedIn you work with Brent Lapp. I had Brent one of my earlier podcasts. And at the time he said, if you ever want to do a podcast on digital assets and crypto, I know who you need to chat with. And then you had posted <laughs> something the other day on LinkedIn that I wanted to chat about with my listeners. And basically when I saw it, it's like, yeah, that's exactly, it's time now to get on and talk because there's so much going on tied to FTX and the collateral damage of FTX and I thought I would just kind of walk through and read what you posted to prime the pump so we can just start talking about this whole exciting arena, if you will. So, <laughs> okay, very good. Your post said that given some of the details emerging around the FTX collapse, our SRM Digital Assets Advisory Team has been fielding comments and questions around additional initial due diligence and ongoing compliance requirements with these third parties. A growing number of financial institutions are seeing this event as an opportunity to win back consumers and offer solutions to protect customers and members who trust them to do. And they are turning to SRM to help them build a safe and forward thinking strategy. You're going to want to call us on this. Your regulators and customers <laughs> members will thank you. But you called me. Yeah, so I called you because there's a lot going on. And I view a lot of these things like a regulator. I believe if you put all regulators together, I have a pretty broad risk appetite because of the journey I took through NCUA and the positions I held. But this whole crypto blockchain environment, more in, in your pinky than I know entirely. So let's chat about what the calls you're getting and the things that it means relative to FTX, how credit unions or banks can win back. This is an opportunity. Read your message to mean this is an opportunity where people who are doing things right can make some positive legway. So with that, I'll just stop rambling and let you chat about that message and what's going on at SRM in this arena. I appreciate it, Mark. Gosh, where do we start? So this is a journey that we've been on for the last couple of years. And when I posted that, it's a message to those that were in process of thinking about doing something, as well as those institutions who haven't done anything yet, to not be deterred or scared by it. And I understand it completely from a regulatory aspect, from a reputational risk standpoint, and the fact that credit unions have so many other alligators in the pond right now, if you put a reason enough in front of them to push it to the side, they will do that. And our fear is that by not addressing where this ecosystem is continuing to grow, despite what's going on with FTX, again, you're always weighing the risks and benefits, but there's risk in not doing anything at all. Just like what happened back in May and June timeframe when we had the stable coin debacle that happened, 
which in hindsight was helpful because it gave us all the understanding of not every stable coin is created equal. And so we were able to put parameters around that. And again, we've had this unfortunate FTX debacle, which is larger than life and larger than it should be. What's unfortunate is it does give a black eye to this ecosystem that's trying to grow up. We've got this baby here and they're trying to get into their toddler teenage years and we're getting squashed down because of somebody that wasn't doing it in the proper fashion. And everybody in this community agrees that regulations should be in put in place. We've been acting from them, from these we have, it will give the necessary comfortability for people to keep moving forward if we have some of those regulations, just like we did in the early days of the internet. There was paper that was put out by the president at that time, Clinton, I believe, and Gore, that said, here are some rules to abide by. It wasn't regs, it wasn't law, it was just like, this is good practice. And I don't think up until this point, crypto has been a little bit self-regulated. And there's obviously a delicate balance between having regulations and stifling that innovation. And we want to make sure that we have those regulations but we also want to make sure that we're not stifling or we have the benefit of having the upside to the internet and the dot-com boom and all of that with some amazing companies that came out of it that are headquartered in the United States. And we don't want to miss the boat as a country as this worldwide system is growing. And so go back to your question is we have clients already, a handful of credit unions already. And by the way, Credit unions have a huge advantage right now, and we can come back to that statement if you want to. But credit unions understand this struggle because you have a group of people that got together in 2008 in the middle of a credit crisis and are like, hey, there's got to be a better way. We don't trust the people who've been doing it for us. Let's figure out a new way to do it. Guess what? Credit unions came from that same philosophy. So at the very philosophical standpoint, credit unions understand that. And we've seen a lot of our clients who've been working with us over the past year or two moving through that. Okay, let's learn about it more. We don't understand it. Tell us more. What does it mean? How does it impact our members? How does it impact our business? And who do we partner with? How do this is something we're creating our own? We're not writing code. We're not doing this stuff. So how do we partner? And how do we go through the RFP process and the contracting? And how do we roll this out? So that's what we've been doing for the last two years. And when something like this happens, it doesn't mean that everybody goes, oh, I knew it. If this is all a fad and it's going downhill. Because just like the internet, you have this, and I go back to this a lot of times when I do my speeches or my education, it has to go through this creative destruction and get to the place where there's a paradigm shift. And there will be a paradigm shift. This is the biggest technology advancement we've had in our human history and it's easy to look back on it. It's really hard to figure it all out when you're in the middle of it. And that's where the challenge is. And like I said before, these credit unions have all these other things that they've got a, other alligators that are closer to them that they're be, they may not see that this is one that they need to keep on the radar as well. With that said, what we're doing is making sure we're re-emphasizing the proper due diligence. It is crazy to me that FTX did what it did without any of the smart people, Kevin O'Leary, any of those people not questioning what the heck was going on. Just from a pure business standpoint, now we all look at it and go, oh, geez, we should have seen that. We should have saw it coming this, for this reason, that reason, and that reason. But it doesn't have anything to do with 
crypto and blockchain. It's a business that was doing things wrong. They were not being audited the way you're supposed to be audited. They're, they were not doing good business practices. And unfortunately, the brunt of that is the crypto community. And that's where we're at now. Well, you know, at every you think about every market that matures, and I always compare things back to a bell curve, right? And so you've got different groups out there and you've got the leaders on one end of the bell curve, and then you've got the ne'er-do-wells or the ones that blow up or don't have accounting records or over-leverage or do some of the things with member deposits that lead to all of a sudden there being many zeroed number of missing assets. This is a random thought, but one of the ones that blew up this year in bankruptcy court was saying that the deposits that were put on into them were theirs and not their members and as it determines under bankruptcy, which wouldn't be the case in a credit union or a bank or an insurance company, which gets to those regulations. It's a little bit of the Wild West. I think in the end, this is all good because there will be better regulations. There was so much effort from what I'm understanding to try and mitigate and limit the regulation that there'll be more now. That is, whether it's SEC or the other agency that FTX was trying to push it towards, which I don't even know the name of. It'll be multiple agencies weighing in different because it's so expansive. It's not one, which is why we've had such a challenge so far is there's little nuances that keep falling under different areas. But to your point, this is a good thing. We'll see it. It's hard to see it when we're in the middle of it. And the way the headlines read are unfortunate. It's misguided. And it'll be something we'll look back on and go, oh, this is how we got to where we're at now. And the point about that's really important is it's not a fad and it's not going away. So your institution has to ask itself, where do we need to be right now? Maybe we don't have to be on the forefront, but we cannot ignore it. And we are getting guidance from the NCUA that gives us a little bit of the direction and let's look at the numbers. So what SRM does, first thing we do is a needs assessment. Let's look at your outflows. Let's look at your inflows. Let's look at what your member type is. Just different ways that you can look for use cases. And everyone in this last year, and us included, has focused on crypto, buy, sell, hold. And when we first launched our practice, our advisory practice, we were crypto advisory. We changed our name to digital asset advisory because we, like everybody else, learned at some point, it's not just about the crypto and it's not just about, excuse me, buy, sell, hold. There are other, and so just early days, there were intranets and internets and there were people trying to figure it out and that some things worked and some things didn't. And here we are today and our internet now, quote unquote, is very different. When we use our phone and we use apps on our phone, we don't realize we're using the internet. I can't explain 5G but it definitely changed the way we do things. We don't print off directions anymore. We just use our GPS. And when you think about the financial community, this is another iteration, a more powerful iteration of doing what we're already been doing. We have deposits, we have checking accounts, we have cards, we have all these things, but it's going to be a new way to do it. Just like before we had ATMs, just like before we had mobile banking, just like before we had online banking, all of those things that we use now to do the same basic financial functions are going to happen with this next iteration of, and I don't know what it's going to be called, crypto or Bitcoin or DeFi or blockchain. It may have a whole different name, so we don't know, 
but it's definitely not something that an institution should ignore. The challenge is you have all these, like I said, you have all these other things that you're trying to pay attention to as well. And that's what's really hard. So reference to NCUA having guidance and in listening to the NCUA board, it's clear they're all very supportive of not wanting credit unions to be left behind. There's a guidance letter out that I believe Vice Chairman Kyle Hauptman was a big proponent of and pushed for. And when he, when I've heard him speak on the topic, one of the advantages credit union has is it presumes that credit unions can play in this market as opposed to the FDIC and OCC where a pre-approval needs to happen. So there's this sandbox that exists because of the way NCUA has approached it. And that kind of links also to the way you're referencing to the Clinton administration on in the beginning of the internet being started up, not wanting to get left behind, right? And that's, again, another reason why credit unions have an advantage right now, because fortunately (laughs) for banks, they don't have that support coming from their regulators. Their regulators are also, they're not saying you can't do anything. And the NCUA is not saying anything you can't do. What the banks have to do is submit in written form what they plan on doing and then wait to receive a letter of non-objection. And from a credit union standpoint, the NCUA has put out these guidance, two of them. One saying, yes, you can use third-party vendors to explore different use cases and offer different things to your members. And as long as you're not breaking any rules, which we know the rules. When we say sometimes the Wild West, there are certain parts of it that feel that way, but then there are other parts that are from a regulatory perspective. So when we take a credit union through exploring use cases and exploring vendor relationships, we are going through all the RFP questions and how it integrates and who's your liquidity provider and how are you audited, and all of these important questions, which by the way, if a credit union, and everyone is going to be at this point, has never done an RFP for crypto or for digital assets, they may not know all the questions they're going to need to ask, which is why we're trying to help them through those so that they aren't missing anything. Because whether a financial institution does this or not, they're still going to have to talk to their regulators about their position in this And that can be one of three ways. It can be, we're not doing anything at all. And the regulator might say, what about your strategic plans? What about, there's a question that has to be answered if you're not paying attention to it. Because you've got outflows now. You've got, maybe your loans are lower because people are going somewhere else. So there will be an impact to it. You could be doing a third-party application through your core or through your online information provider. And the regulator can say, why are you using that vendor? It's not going to suffice to say, because my core told it, said that's who they're integrated with, or that's who my online banking provider is integrated with. You still have to have that due diligence. You can't just say, I'm going to wait and see what my core provider offers, and I'll just do that. And now we're doing crypto. That's not how it works. It's much more complicated than that. It's not just another feature functionality on your mobile banking, like a Zelle product or anything. No, not against Zelle, just saying it's not something right. you're just adding to. And then the third scenario is that, and again, what we've been doing is stepping those credit unions through, okay, tell, educate us more. Tell us what the different use cases are as a group among just, and there's different areas within the institution that look at this and go, hey, this one, this use case here really resonates with our membership and with our institution, what we're excited about. Now let's go find the right partner to partner up with. 
okay, here are the questions we need to ask to make sure we protect our members, protect our institution, and be able to answer to our regulators. Boom. Now we're ready to roll it out. How do we market it? Those are all the things that we walk them through because then when the regulator comes and they say, how did you make a decision? You can show them all of the steps that you went through. You went through the due diligence and you went through the RP and you talked to three different vendors and did all of these exercises to get to the point you were. There's been third parties we've looked at that we questioned whether as you go through those the RP and you do the demos and you're like, I'm not sure that this is a sound partner that looks all good compared to sure. some of the others. Sure. And we do a scorecard. We And we're not here to make anyone's decision. We're not here to tell anyone they should or shouldn't be doing it. But here are the questions you should be asking in, amongst yourselves and then make that educated decision. And if you decide to put things on full freight, if you decide to put things in a glass box and break it when necessary, you've got it ready to go and ready to roll out. But if you wait too long, you're going to have to do a whole bunch of catch up and it could cost more and it could take longer if you wait too long. So even if you go back to the internet, you think about where you might have been on mobile banking or online banking. Were you a fast follower? Were you at the very tail end of it? And the challenges that would have happened with that financial institution as you adopted some of those other technologies, what lessons did you learn from that and apply that here in this case as well? Got it. And so when you explained it that way, one thing that popped into my head was my discussion with Brent Lapp of Strategic Resource Management relative to how your organization will help a credit union deal with a vendor because you see a lot of the same contracts from a vendor. And as a result, you know that there might be some opportunities in your contract that might not be in another contract. And the light bulb went on when you said the checklist, you're essentially doing something very similar relative to the crypto distributed ledger blockchain, it's very similar to what you do with the other types of products, if I'm... That's correct. That's okay. Correct. So use cases, again, but there, so there's crypto, there's blockchain, there's distributed ledger, there's the concept mm -hmm. of how that's going to be a way to do accounting and to send mm -hmm. money more safely and with better systems than there that exist now. So if, if a credit union was listening to us chat here today, and they're saying, what use cases might I want to consider? Are there, what would you say the top two or three things that are being discussed, if you can share that? Sure. So obviously the buy, sell, hold is one of the top, but that's because everybody's talking about it. It does not mean that's what your institution has to do. But when you start to look at the risks and benefits, a lot of credit unions start there because they start to see the outflows. So on our benchmark show for every billion in assets, a million dollars is going out to the exchanges per month. Now, that might be a little bit lower right now because of the crazy environment we're in, That's but true. it doesn't matter because whether it's the buyer or the sell, the financial institution could have a toll booth, if you will, for money that's coming and going out of their, out of their institution. Now, they could be partnering with a vendor that offers a custodial or a non-custodial wallet that would be helpful for their members to have a safer place to do these types of transactions. And that's what we talk to a lot of credit unions about when they're looking at buy, sell, hold is you have an opportunity to offer a better product that you've vetted out that is you've got more of a finger on than to have all of this money leaving your institution going out to a Coinbase or to a Gemini or to Kraken or FTX and not be able to protect your members. And so that, when you look at it from that standpoint, is where some people will say it might not be something I would do, 
but we have enough of our membership that's doing it. There's an opportunity here, just like they made the decision when they decided to do an ATM or mobile banking. The same thing. So that would be the first one. Buy, sell, hold, because that's what a lot of people are talking about. And so a lot of people are doing it. And you look at your data and you decide if that's the use case you want to go with because of the writing on the wall. The other one that we have a lot of institutions look at is crypto rewards. It's another way to get involved with it and dip your toe into it where travel rewards and money back rewards are challenging. And any one of these use cases, you're taking a step back and going, where can we solve a friction point? Because we've gotten used to the way we've done banking. I just bought a house in Florida and it took me two months to close on it. That's not uncommon. We've all had our stories about buying a house and what we had to go through and what challenges we had. So as a financial institution, how can I make the process somewhere where we have these friction points that maybe they don't have to be that take that long, cost that much, be that frustrating and challenging. And that's where you start to focus in on what use case do you want. So the rewards program is an area that people, and there's people that may mainstream may not be buying crypto, but they'd be interested in those rewards because who knows? It's like the lottery. They might end up with more than, than they thought in, originally, and it's no money out of their pocket per se. So that's the second one. The third one that we are excited about that has some time to mature is the lending space of it. The lending side, and there's a lot of different ways you can look at the lending. It could be where the organization is deciding, are we going to acknowledge Patty has $50,000 in Bitcoin and she wants to borrow $25,000 of it to buy a car for her son. Are we going to acknowledge that as an asset and make a loan for her and back that digital asset that she has or the crypto that she has? Or in the process of the mortgage loan, again, there's so many different ways that institutions could go with this. When we talk about distributed ledger technology and that blockchain, that's when you start to look at some of the use cases that are not maybe retail forward, but member experience positive. So when you think about distributed ledger and you're looking at settlement time where you can settle quicker because you're using blockchain and you don't have two or three days to wait for something to clear, you've got instant settlement opportunities. With distributed ledger, you've got a visibility into your intermediaries that you know information is accurate and fungible, and you're able to make decisions quicker on that because there isn't this pocket of time between something moves or not moves. And so when we think about mortgage and the title situation, there's identity, there is proof of ownership that will happen as NFTs are explored in the space where I can, there's no doubt, there's an infungible way proving I own this property or that Mark owns this property and I'm buying that property from him, he transfers that title to me, we didn't have to have any intermediary to that to hope that they recorded it at the courthouse and research it and it cost us thousands of dollars. That's a friction, another friction point. And so there's the identity management. Think about all of the credit unions right now that have the ability to log into a website and open an account from there. That was I'm sure a topic of conversation at some point of whether that was a risk and what if somebody has to, what if they take advantage of the system and what about from a reputational standpoint, if it goes down and people can't do it, things like that. When you think about identity, 
if I go online and I have to upload my information, my driver's license is a typical one. You don't need all that information on my driver's license to, to prove who I am. There's opportunity in blockchain with identity that you're able to frictionlessly open accounts and use certain transactions, financial transactions, without having to go through this onerous proving who I am. And if I'm already a member, there are things we still ask forms. Every time we have to fill out those forms, nobody likes filling out those forms. And so many industries, not just the financial community, so many industries are are starting to look at things and going, hold on a second. We could do this faster. We could do this better. We could make this a, a better experience. And by the way, lower cost to the company. So for example, in a credit union, think about how much money is spent on cybersecurity and fraud right. and those exercises. As people start to learn more about this blockchain and they're able to reduce the cost to the credit union that they're spending on it, guess what? Now they get to have higher rates in their deposits. Now they get to have better rates in their loans because they've offset the cost of doing business and they can pass that along to their members. And so that's why people get excited. I know Carl Hopman has talked about the lending side of it. That's why people get really excited about where this is all headed. The early days of the internet, sure, and we sure. don't know what it's going to look like. It's so exciting. Eliminating the friction to be able to log in, not necessarily having to have passwords that you might have to change frequently, yet making it more secure, because that's the essence of this is that security side of it. That's a new discovery for me that's somewhere this where this might head. And a couple other things you said I want to follow up on, make sure I, I understand from where I'm sitting. So the crypto rewards, that's just simply instead of me getting an Amazon card, I have the ability to go on some platform and buy a small share of Ethernet or something. Cri- somebody is giving you crypto as opposed to you buying. Got it. Yep. Okay. Some people they're excited about that. Yeah. Got it. And then So I want to talk a little bit about self-custody versus not self-custody. So I've got a Coinbase app on my phone because I have very tiny amount that I purchased to play with. Let me just say that's a really good point. If anyone that's listening right now hasn't explored this at all, if you have PayPal or what's my cash app, you can go and buy $5 of Bitcoin or Ethereum just to see what people are doing. You can do that just for experimental. If you're really adventurous and you open a Coinbase like you did, you get to see the KYC, AML, like what you needed to do in order to open that account. And that makes some of our our bankers understand that process. But it's also very easy to do because I myself opened an account online with a financial institution and with one of the neobanks. And I'm telling you what, I could do it really quick. And guess what? I'm getting 4% on a savings account and it's not crypto because they've used blockchain to lower that. But my, and I apologize for just jumping in there. My point is to experiment with it for the sake of let's put a hundred bucks in here and see what it looks like and how it does. And it's not investment advice. It's just. No, no, it's just seeking to, it's playing with the systems and trying to understand it. But so self-custody is where it's actually like in your name, like registering in your name and, and anything short of that is where you potentially get into a little bit higher risk. So here's the hashtag. Yep. <laughs> so put it on your bumper sticker and put it on a t-shirt and on a poster and all over your website. Because obviously the financial institutions, of course, have to make sure that their members understand this is not 
FDIC insured, NCUA insured, whatever the case may be. Whoever owns the keys owns the crypto. Right. So when you go out on Coinbase, you're trusting that Coinbase, just like people trusted FTX, was taking their money, using it appropriately, depositing it. It's going to be there if I need it. I can withdraw it whenever I want to. Even though you have your key and you have a public key, you still are trusting that you can access that exchange. That's a public exchange. Even though you have your own wallet, you are putting your money out on that exchange. When you have your own wallet, you can have a cold wallet. You can have a third tri-party custody situation. And this is where credit unions explore these third parties where they can offer a custody or a non-custody option through their financial institution. And so what you're doing is spreading out because there's a couple of different things. Just like the internet was clunky and cumbersome and you had to dial up and you had just three days to download a picture. It wasn't fun at first. It was complicated unless you were computer oriented. You didn't know, really know what to do. This is like that. There are people who haven't done it yet because it's very cumbersome to do so. And guess what? If I lose my keys, I lose all of my money right. that I put in there. It doesn't even matter. So there are vendors who help distribute some of that risk out so that the financial institution, and there's different ways that they do this, but there's a financial institution, there's a third party, and so that you still have more control over where that money is sitting and where, and you're going through that regulatory process because if a financial institution is sharing that with the third party, they've gone through the necessary scrutiny. The credit union is auditing that third party to make sure that they're not selling the member, using the member's money to go do something else. They're making sure that testations and that they're keeping up on their different licenses that they have to have. We did a webinar a couple weeks ago on the state versus federal versus international regulations that are being talked about, bipartisan regulations, bills that are be putting into place right now. And again, this goes back to my point earlier is a financial institution has the opportunity whether that CEO or anyone on that C-suite would partake in crypto themselves, they have to look at what their membership or their potential membership, this can be where you're getting new members in a new market, what are they doing? What are they asking for? And as opposed to you being on Coinbase, you could be working with your credit union and buying crypto through a safer environment than just having it out on the, and again, sure. not anything against Coinbase, just the differences in the weighing the risks and benefits. Understood. As you explain it that way, a thing that pops into my mind, and I'm sure a lot of the credit unions you talk to is capturing the youth market is a big challenge for some credit unions, right? Absolutely. That's the I mean, future. And if, if they're playing this game and you're not. Examples that we give in this, and it's a bank example, but they were one of the first federally insured institutions to offer a buy, sell, hold, and it's Vast Bank, V-A-S-T Bank down in Oklahoma, Arkansas, one of those two states in there. And they had 25% net new customers eight weeks after launching their buy, sell, hold. When we step somebody through use case, we're saying, let's take a look at your strategic plan. Are your strategic plans to go after a younger market? Are you trying to get younger members? Are you trying to engage with your younger members that you already have. And when you think about it that way, again, it goes back to maybe it's not something that I would do, but it's something that 
a certain percentage of our membership, whatever that percentage is doing, do we need to do something about that? And that's where it becomes not an emotional decision, but a let's look at the numbers, let's look at the facts, let's look at the data, let's look at the risks and benefits, let's see what can we do here, just like they did when they were deciding whether they should be able to let people remotely deposit checks. It's right, the same yeah. conversation. That's a great analogy. And on the lending space side, I own crypto of $100,000. I want to get a car loan for $30,000. It's in a strong third party where there is self-custody. Credit unions might be comfortable doing an LTV of, I don't know, pick a number, 50% with the ability to ask for more collateral if it goes down. So I'll let you borrow up to 50, 100,000, and then you set those parameters up to watch that and and monitor that. And if if you have good relationships with quality of knowing that those assets will ultimately be there, that's one thing versus the other where you might not. Do I have that right? Yes, for sure. A couple key pieces in there are A, allowing, looking at the risks and benefits, but you are allowing your members to as they're building their digital wealth. And so at some point you have to ask yourself, if we're having financial discussions with our members and we're not talking about this growing piece of that pie because people are diversifying, we go through the numbers of how many Americans own crypto and how much they have and how much they're buying and where they're putting it. They're still doing it. Even with what happened to FTX, it's still happening. That's not going away. The value has been all over the place, but people are still buying it because of a lot of different reasons we're not talking about now. But they're diversifying and you are offering something. So if you are offering that loan, you are able to over collateralize it. Like you said, you can decide. You're Because there's not a lot of people doing it right now, you can set the market in your own market. So you can do 50%, you can do 75%, whatever percentage you want to, and then set it call. So it's a low risk, high opportunity for financial institution. It's income that they're generating, it's member experience. Another key piece to that will be the importance of the financial institution having access to those keys. That's where you get that tri-party relationship because if they do have to pull it, They've got to be able to, to access that, that okay, crypto if they need to take it away. Got it. And then sometimes the ridiculous example is, makes the best point. So someone has $10 million of crypto and they happen to have $400,000 in the credit union. And for whatever reason, they don't want to use that $400,000 in the credit union. They like to use the millions of dollars they got in crypto to get a better interest rate. And you say, no, are you ready for them not to be your member? Yep, that's correct. And people aren't going to want it. Some people will say, why are they not just using their crypto? You don't want to take that out. It's an investment or if if you just have it sitting there and it could be a taxable event. Taxable event. Yeah, exactly. If if I can walk in and say, I've got this money and think about the potential members. When you think about, it's not even just younger members. It's members who've been disenfranchised for a very long time. So this is another philosophical angle on this. You've got members in your or potential members in your community who have been in that vicious cycle of payday lending, loan sharks, Western Union, where they've been paying exorbitant amount of fees. They've already gone to crypto because they've seen how this they can be have access to financial products that they didn't have access to before. They started building their digital wealth. 
Now you have a new membership that you can target that isn't even in the credit union system yet. And we're not talking about younger members, but maybe they're just out of the prison. Maybe they are a low-income community. Maybe they're immigrant. They're older. They're disabled. There's a lot of those individuals who are not banked, underbanked. Credit unions understand this is they're always fighting for the people who are disenfranchised. And this is another way where a, they've been building their digital wealth. Now they're make a great member. B, um, they're maybe a member that's been borderline. They've run into the seas all the time. And now they've started participating in this ecosystem and started getting themselves out of that vicious cycle. We've loved the, especially from a rural standpoint, the use case for a member who's sending money back to their family and before we're paying huge cross-border fees, which is another example of a use case. There are credit unions who send business out the door down the street to a bigger bank to do cross-border payments because they don't want to have to They only do a certain amount or they don't want to have to go through all the procedures that you have to do it. That's an opportunity for financial institutions to build that member, get new members, because now they can offer something in a safe way where a member can now send money back to their family through their crypto wallet that they didn't, they weren't able to before because they were doing it through Western Union and all of the challenges and friction points that Western Union would have, or any other, any type of sure, wires, sure. anything like that's a huge opportunity. So for credit unions that have that their membership base geography yes, yep. field of membership, it's a great opportunity. That's fascinating. So sure, we could go on for several more hours <laughs> talking about this, and you could help educate me on all the things I don't know. But if there was a question or there's something I should have asked you relative to this that you'd like to answer, ask and answer. I guess the biggest question is, should we be putting this on hold right now? And of course, obviously by our conversation already, it's not necessarily on hold. What we were actually talking about after what happened in May with the stable coin was this is a perfect opportunity where you don't have to do anything immediately but that doesn't mean don't do anything at all. It's just like the pandemic. The pandemic, you didn't see it happening and you have to make decisions right away. With this, you see it coming. You see the opportunities that's evolving and the use cases. So keep exploring, keep having conversations, keep doing education, talking about it in the different business units because somebody will come up with a great idea of what if we did this or can we do that? And so it's definitely not doing anything, but there's an opportunity in this space where you can make really good educated decisions as opposed to having a split second. Or if you wait too long, now you're going to have to do catch up and there's risks in catch up when you're at the back of the line. Got it. That's a great way to end this. Patty, if someone wanted to get in touch with you at Strategic Resource Management to discuss anything that we've chatted about today, maybe they're thinking about dipping their toe in it. Maybe they do want to start exploring and educating. How? What's the best way for them to reach you? So I'm on LinkedIn, Larry Press, P-R-U-S-S. He and I, are, he heads up actually our digital asset advisory team. We're both on LinkedIn, SRM Corp. .com is our website. There's a digital asset page. We're often doing webinars. We're out on the speaking circuit. There's a lot of different ways that you can. Yeah, I would encourage following us on LinkedIn because we do post information um, specific to financial institutions and address, again, some of those headlines. We never have time to read into the article or take perspective of the author 
And so don't be afraid. Just like anything we're looking at, whatever subject you're looking at, don't just believe the headline. Think about it critically and read into it and take it with perspective on where this environment is trying to go. Got it again, back to the education and seeking to understand so you can make the best decisions yep. for your credit union and your members. Very- it's really exciting, though. I walked into life when I worked at a bank in Lincoln, Nebraska. I walked into my president's office when I was a young person <laughs> before social media came along. And I said, social media, it's the next thing. We need to communicate with our customers at a different level. And they said, oh, it's a fad. You can go ahead and leave. And I had the opportunity to talk to some students at Austin at, a- at the A&M. Uh, university. And I said, you. I wish I was younger because it's so exciting. We don't know what it's going to look like. It's messy right now. We're traditional finance. We're being asked to think about this in a completely different way. It doesn't make sense because we're used to this, but we're trying to do that. Make no doubt. It's really exciting. And there's a lot of great things that are coming out of it. Yeah. I understand that more now after spending the last hour with you. Patty, I want to thank you for your time. Thanks so much, Mark. You got it. And listeners, I want to thank you for listening. This is Mark Treichel signing off with Flying Colors. Thank you for joining us on this episode of With Flying Colors. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app to hear future episodes where subject matter experts of all varieties will provide tips on how to achieve success with NCUA. If you would like to learn more about how we assist credit unions, check out our services at marktreichel.com. 